Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. We're back. Just Woo-hoo. two dope boys in a Cadillac. <laughs> mm-hmm. Kyle's That's... with me today. Yep, I am. I sure for am. Earning your paycheck this week. <laughs> yeah, uh, you must have the wrong address because I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> uh, I pay you in smiles and hip hop quotes that you don't get. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, speaking of which, I don't think we ne- we haven't talked about this, but you referred to me the other day that you used two adjectives, two and only two adjectives to describe me, and these were them: fired up mm-hmm. and rap listening. Yeah, that that does like that's that's I mean, me. Can, I feel like I could just put a period after that and call it a day. <laughs> my my work is done. It's like that's me in a nutshell, I guess. It is. It is fired up first and foremost. Yeah, always fired up, obviously. Always fired up. I came out of the womb fired up. (laughs) This room is cold. Somebody better get on that now. (laughs) Oh, boy. So how was your break? Um, it It was good. Yeah, I just needed to, like, just get get land and get back in the swing of things so but I listened to the AJ um episode and it was so good that I um became a client myself and I I contacted AJ it has been a rough year for me movement and exercise wise and man once you fall off of that train that is a hard one to get back on for me so I wanted to get a little bit of help, and so now I'm working with AJ, and yeah, to to be continued. Oh, I can't wait to hear about it. That sounds good. awesome. Yeah. She's good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to talk about carbs today on the show, specifically low-carb diets. Uh, before we get into that, I wanted to share this email that I got from a listener because I just I really like the message. So here it goes. I was in the dressing room at Target trying on bathing suits last night, and two young girls a few rooms down were tearing themselves apart. Everything from surgical procedures to fix themselves to going on an all-fruit and veggie diet to lose weight, my heart just broke for them. How are we as a culture okay with this kind of attitude toward our own bodies? I share this with you to remind you of the good work you do and the important fight you're fighting against diet culture. I had my own demons play nasty looking in the mirror last night, but I also had your voice in my head fighting for me. Whatever challenges you face today, Erin, know that you are igniting a fire in the people you're reaching. May we use that fire to burn the damn diet culture house down. Woo, woo, fired up, Erin. <laughs> fired up. So... A couple of things. Obviously, that was a great email, and I actually got it at just like a weird day. I was kind of having a down day. I'm sort of having this like weird existential crisis with my career and my business. (laughs) Kyle knows all about it. (laughs) Um, So it felt really good to to get that. And I've received similar things um, quite a bit. And so I just want to be – one of my goals is to be as transparent as possible, and I never want to like fake the funk. I never want to – I don't know, like put put something forward that that's not genuinely me um, just to like make myself look better or look a certain way. And I think some people might listen to this podcast and hear my anti-diet battle cry and think that I have it all figured out or that it comes easily to me because I've arrived at this place or something like that. But, but I want to explain that 
I'm fighting those same demons that that listener was talking about. It's the world that we live in. These messages are everywhere. And I, I honestly don't think that there really is an arrival point of this whole journey. It's not like, oh, I'm here. Awesome. Like, I never have to think about this again. I mean, just yesterday, I took my four-year-old into the Target dressing room. And I, I really, I took, it was a conscious decision to take her in there and try on bathing suits together. And we were, I was laughing, we were cracking jokes, we were having a good time. I really wanted to make it kind of this light experience because I refuse to teach her that the simple act of trying on a bathing suit has to be a demoralizing experience that, that it is for so many women. But this is an ongoing process and it's an unrelenting job to fight the voice that tells me I have to be smaller. It's a choice I have to make almost every single day to ignore the part of me that's allured by a diet or a way of eating that promises abs or whatever. It's a continuous check-in with myself and I have to kind of talk my through myself through it. I have to say like, look, I'm eating a very nutrient-dense diet. I'm eating well-sourced food. I have enjoyment in my food. I listen to my body. I give it what it's asking for. I move my body often with movement that I actually enjoy. So I'm putting in all the appropriate inputs from there. I'm just going to trust that my body will settle at a weight that's appropriate for me right now. And that's very different than trying to desperately force myself to do something that kind of sucks for me just to make myself or to make myself miserable and potentially feel miserable just to make my body look differently. But but guys, it's work. It it's something that I have to stay on top of. And that's why I do speak out a lot about diet culture, whether it's in my blog, my newsletters, social media, or this podcast. I'm really open about my experience because one, I want to showcase that I'm not impervious to these messages. And two, I want to shine a light on all the places where I see it show up for me in hopes that others can start to do the same for themselves. The demons that we all fight are put in place by diet culture. So we have to change the culture or we will always feel like we're at war. But we can't change it unless we're aware of it, right? I mean, I, I, I always think of Verbal Kint from The Usual Suspects, that movie. And he says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And I think we all really have to take a long, hard look at the messages we receive, perhaps acknowledge that the devil, so to speak, does exist in the form of an industry that tells us we are unworthy and unlovable as we are. And we also have to acknowledge how these messages inform our beliefs, our beliefs about ourselves, about our bodies, about food, about the world. And changing ingrained societal beliefs beliefs is a communal effort. And that means that we're all collectively working toward it together. So that's why I keep talking about this stuff. You know, it's like it's like this slow burn. It's this ripple effect. If I say it to one person, they say it to another person, they say it to another person, maybe we can all kind of link up arms and and start to really dismantle these beliefs in this this kind of sick culture. Yeah, for sure. I definitely feel like my reaction to diet culture has changed a lot over the years especially once I hit my mid 30s that's that's me personally it just got a lot easier to see the diet culture messages and kind of take them for what they're worth which is essentially nothing because the funny thing about diet culture is that their messages don't ever change the only thing that can change is you and your reaction to it and there will always be people who are sensitive to the messages and willing to do whatever they need to to get the results that are promised, a supposed better version of themselves, regardless of how hard or unrealistic or how isolating the process to get there may be. But even if you do all that, even if you do everything they tell you to, even if you stay on the hamster wheel, you restrict, you pick your body apart, you count calories, you overexercise, you think about it all the time, the messages will just keep coming telling you to do more. The thing about diet culture is that you'll never get to a place where the messages will tell you that, okay, you can stop and you're enough. 
Their entire business model is built on you thinking the opposite of that. Preach. Yeah. So, you know, I know we've talked about this before, but like if you keep listening to the messages and the critique, the the next best weight loss diet over and over again, there will always be more messages to reinforce this cycle and way of thinking. The magazines promising bikini bodies will keep coming in the mail until you unsubscribe from them. The scale will keep reminding you that you don't weigh what you think your body should weigh until you throw the scale out. Food will continue to be all about calories until you decide to just focus on eating real food and learning what your body wants and craves and enjoys instead of what diet culture tells you it should have. The the diet culture hamster wheel never stops. The only option is for you to make the choice and get off of it yourself. And I think for a lot of us, myself included, it just got to a point where putting that much effort into trying to change my body and focus on every single bite of food I was eating or calorie I was burning became too exhausting and frustrating to keep up with. I got tired of focusing on how I can change the way my body looks on the outside and started caring a lot more about how I can feel better on the inside. I had to learn how to be a little nicer to myself so I'm not in this constant battle over what my body isn't. I am not immune to the messages by any means or or immune to feeling like I want my body to look different than it does. But my reaction to that culture and those negative thoughts about my body have absolutely changed over the years. And because of that, my relationship with food has changed too. Going from a place of how can this food change the way my body looks to how can this food change the way I feel? And Erin and I talk about different therapeutic diets on the show because we both believe that food has the ability to heal and improve function and how you feel as well as promote imbalance and disease. We believe this because we've experienced it time and time again in practice and with ourselves. But we also know that food isn't the whole story and it's only it's only a part of someone being healthy or not. So there can be a lot of baggage around food and diets, and we just think it's important to talk about all of that too when we you know, talk about different ways of eating. Because the word diet really just refers to the kind of food someone's eating regularly. It doesn't have to be this dirty four-letter word that always means some kind of restriction and taking away the food you enjoy. That's just what diet culture changed it to. Yeah, and I, I think some people might see me or, or you or the both of us as anti-diet nutritionists because we speak so frequently about this. But there, and that might be true, you know, I don't know how I qualify myself, but there's, there's a spectrum to this whole anti-diet thing. And I don't think we're on either side of the spectrum because on one end, there are people that are saying that all diets are bad and what we put in our mouth doesn't really matter. And that's obviously not where we are. Like you said, Kyle, we do feel what you put in your mouth matters. And as a refresher, anyone new to the show, my undergrad is in dietetics. I, I then studied to become a health coach. And then my postgrad studies are in functional medicine, nutrition. And I struggled with eating disorder for over 12 years, and now I'm a, a decade into recovery. I've got to manage an autoimmune condition. And ironically enough, I do that partially through food and diet. And that might seem contradictory to the anti-diet movement, that somebody who is in eating disorder recovery has to manage her health through a diet. <sighs> But in my heart of hearts, I believe that diet culture trained me to hate myself, and those self-attack thoughts trained my body to self-attack, leading to an autoimmune disease. It is one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about speaking out against diet culture rhetoric. But at the same time, I have profound reverence for food and the soil and the earth, and I do believe there is a difference between food properly cultivated from the earth and then refined, processed, glyphosate-ridden non-food. But I sometimes feel that the anti-diet movement chastises this belief. It 
often writing it off as orthorexic or just blatantly untrue, it seems as though certain ways of eating cannot coexist with the anti-diet movement. And this is where I start to question, like, where do I fit into this? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that impression. And it's funny, a good friend of mine has a huge Instagram following, and she is also a dietitian. And a while ago, she got this message from another dietitian who works with eating disorders and subscribes to the whole Hayes anti-diet movement. Now, I am not trying to put anyone on blast here, but I do think it's important to be honest about this kind of criticism because it's happening. So my friend received a message from this other dietitian criticizing her Instagram page for being too clean. Her suggestion was for her to share food that she's really craving, like normal cake and regular pasta, and to include less fresh foods and more canned and frozen foods, making the assumption that my friend wasn't already using canned or frozen foods, which she does, and she's posted about that. So to send a message like this is just nuts to me. I mean, first of all, who is she to say that the food my friend is posting isn't the food she's actually craving? And second of all, I just about lost my shit when I heard the whole normal cake and regular pasta thing, because what exactly does that mean anyways? Is normal cake from a box? Does normal cake only include all-purpose flour and any alternative to that just doesn't count? Does regular pasta have to contain gluten for it to be acceptable to post? The funny thing is that my friend is like me and that we legit crave things like fruits and vegetables, and she has never been a big dessert or pasta person. That's not to say she still doesn't have those foods sometimes, but she's not forcing anything with what she eats and shares on social media. She is truly eating what she feels like, Yet the assumption was that she's purposely eating clean or eating food she doesn't really want to. And it's just really frustrating dealing with that kind of mentality to feel like you have to prove to someone that you're choosing these foods because you genuinely enjoy them rather than you purposely trying to have a clean page or eat clean. And it's the same with diets. Why should someone feel bad if they're eating in a way that makes them feel better and they're avoiding foods that make them feel like junk? If someone isn't happy with their body and they want to change it, why is acceptance the only option? Why does avoidance of any food have to be seen as disordered or the consumption of a lot of healthy food seen as orthorexic? This is not at all to assume that all anti-diet or Hayes practitioners feel this way because I know that they don't. But based on the messages and posts I see on social media or hear in podcasts, it does seem like a good amount of them do feel this way. When you told me about that story, I, I couldn't even wrap my head around. I just didn't, I just, I don't know. I just didn't, didn't get yeah. it. You know, what a lot of what you said reminds me of, um, a question that I get pretty frequently um, at workshops where someone will ask, like, well, what do I do? So I can't eat, let's say I can't eat gluten and dairy. What are your suggestions for when I go out to eat with friends or I go to a friend's house? And I'm always like, well, don't eat gluten and dairy because it makes you feel terrible. So like, but where, but people, I think especially women, we're so accustomed to putting everybody else's comfort needs and levels first. And we don't want to like make a splash, right? We want to like, you know, come across as like, we don't want to come across as high maintenance. We don't want to put other people out. And I, I get that, but it's, it's funny that people are like truly, truly willing to make themselves physically uncomfortable in order to appease other people because they don't want people to think that there's something like they're difficult that they're difficult with their food choices and it's like it's this sort of messaging that kind of instill like you know lays the groundwork for that belief you know i'm like i, I just have no problem with being like oh i don't eat this way like that's it I get to, it's my body it's my choice like i get to make the decision about the food that i put in my mouth and if it makes you uncomfortable. That says a lot more about you than it does about me. Anyway, yeah. um, 
I think it's just insinuating that like eating disorder recovery or self-love or body acceptance and eating a whole foods diet are mutually exclusive, right? Like you can't, you can't do both at the same time. And I just don't think that everything has to be so black and white. Like, can we be anti-diet while also praising the value of real food? Can we honor the haze that health at every size movement while also discussing weight loss? Can we respect the idea that some folks need to abstain from certain foods for medical reasons? Can those with health issues approach elimination diets from a place of abundance and love instead of deprivation and punishment? Where is my place as a practitioner? Where's my place in all of this? And can I somehow guide people toward this middle ground? These are the questions that constantly fill my head with the work that I do. And what I'm ultimately looking to do is to give people a safe place to explore all of that. Some people are ready to jump off the diet roller coaster, right? They're ready to get off that hamster wheel, kind of what you were talking about, Kyle. You're like, I'm, I hit my mid-30s. I'm going to get off. Like, I'm done. Some people are just all set. And I and I do feel like our podcast often caters to that audience. But there's a huge segment of people that are like, yeah, that's where I want to be. But I'm having a really hard time getting there. I would say that maybe most people are like that. Yeah. So I think our role as practitioners is to meet people in the middle. I, we go, we do go hard against the diet industry, and we do go hard against people that peddle diets and try to sell you your self worth through a diet. And I stand by everything we've said on this show. I, I've been saying that stuff for years and years. Our stance is the same. It is very well researched and very well thought out. But the thing to keep in mind is that you can pull your diet mentality into anything that you do. Any any way of eating, you can pull that diet mentality in. And I, I do think it's probably easier to do when it's a super restrictive diet. Um, we've talked about this on the show before, like an isogenics where you're drinking shakes and you're not eating a ton of real food and you're cleansing for 30 days and all that jazz. It's easy to bring more of a restriction mindset into a restricted food model. And some people find restriction in and of itself to be triggersome and have to really steer clear of it for those reasons. But I'm thinking like even something like intermittent fasting, while the benefits can be huge, it can be therapeutic for many reasons, but if you're bringing your diet mindset into intermittent fasting, then that's a problem. And the same thing can be said for a vegetarian diet or a paleo diet or the Whole30 or autoimmune paleo AIP or low carb, the ketogenic diet. And I am not, like, hear, hear me loud and clear. I am not talking out against these particular diets because I think they can all be really great. What I'm talking out against is the diet mindset that we bring to these, way, these ways of eating. And I've heard this from a few different women. They say that keto broke me. You know, keep, the ketogenic diet is so big right now. And so women have come to me after trying it and just, like, are leveled and they're like keto broke me and I have to wonder was it being on a very low carb diet that broke you or did bringing your diet mentality into a very low carb diet break you you know because there's there's a huge difference there and that in my opinion is the thing that really needs to be picked apart that's the thing we have to be radically honest with ourselves about that's the thing we have to focus on and pay attention to. Because if we don't look at that and we don't start to dissolve that, then we're going to bring those diet thoughts into any food model or way of eating, even a healthy, well-rounded one. We're going to continue to bring the ruckus to the table each and every time. So I will continue to champion the anti-diet rhetoric, but I feel that there's still space to talk about how to approach different ways of eating with a healthier mindset. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be so black and white. Yes. The, and the one thing that we do maintain every single time we talk about diets on the show is that there is no right diet for everyone. No matter what the topic is, this is ultimately one of the main messages we're sending. There are so many factors to be considered with each diet and it's easy to go online and read a success story or someone's negative experience and just want to put a period after that. Like, okay, so this diet is awful and no one should do it or this diet is amazing and 
everyone should try it. I want to jump in here because there are certain certainly people that will say exactly what you just said. And they're usually people that are selling diets or blogging about a certain diet like AIP. They've got a stake in the game one way or another. Yes, yes. It's their it's the holy grail diet. But it's just not that simple. Even if you check all of the boxes off for someone who a certain diet might be good for, you could still end up not having a good response to it. And if you do have a lot of health issues or hurdles to overcome, then working with a practitioner like Erin or myself is always going to be helpful rather than just trying to do what your friend or a blogger or an influencer is doing because it is a lot more complicated than that. Totally. That's that's an important point. Um, If you guys are struggling with some of this, you really don't have to go it alone. Reach out to one of us and set up an appointment. Um, You know, we're both taking new clients all the time. I take new clients through email. You can reach out to me, Erin at ErinHoltHealth.com and Kyle. I'm I'm still using Kyle.M-A-I-O-R-A-N-A. Mayorana at Gmail. Our our emails are in our our um yeah our emails are in our show notes, right? Yeah, they'll they will be today if they're not there already. I'll make Mayorana. sure. Mayorana. <laughs> yeah, because your email is going to change soon. So yes. Um, but I mean, really, food can be so confusing. Obviously, we have an entire show dedicated to food and nutrition. It's very confusing for folks. And then if you throw health concerns on top of that, it's a lot. And seeking help through one of us can get you the results you're after quicker than figuring it out solo. So really don't hesitate to reach out. That's what we're here for. Yes, yes. Um, I might be able to learn how to change my own oil, but I'd much rather just go to a mechanic for that. So you know, there <laughs> certain, certain things, you just it's good to get some help. Um, if you're familiar with the four tendencies, Some people are obligers and upholders. So, you know, I think of this when I think of people going on diets because those people are going to respond to changing the way they eat in such a different way than a rebel would. They're going to find some comfort in following a specific way of eating rather than feel overwhelmed or restricted by that. They're going to find some freedom from someone helping them to identify which foods make them feel better or worse and just having some clarity around the food that they eat in general. Not having some education around food is where they might start to feel a little out of control. But on the flip side of that, a rebel is going to feel crazy if they feel forced to make certain food choices that they aren't yet ready to make. Um, They're going to hate following anything that isn't on their own terms and isn't something that they've made the decision to do. Part of our job as practitioners is figuring out which approach is going to work best for each person. And so I'm going to jump in here because in case people aren't familiar familiar with that, that is a book by Gretchen Rubin and I use it. I always use it in my Fueled and Fit Nutrition program to have people kind of self-assess because it really does make a huge difference anytime you're looking to change a habit, whether it's a dietary habit or otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like this makes me think of being in school and struggling with math and trying to get help. And I always found that the teacher just kind of repeated things. And I'm like, no, my hearing is fine. I just need you to uh, teach me in a totally different way. Wait, what what tendency are you? I am a questioner. Me too. I believe. Yeah. 100. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so through and through. But it's just interesting. It's like, you know, little things like that is is everybody everybody learns differently. Everybody, you know, needs different motivation and and is going to respond to a diet different. Um, And if someone is finding that a certain way of eating makes them feel better, I don't think they should feel bad about that. If anything, I feel like they're doing exactly what we want people to do, which is find out what works for you and you alone and do that with blinders on if you have to. Own the fact that you've found what works for you and what makes you feel good and that it's going to look different than what works for other people. For sure. Something is not bad just because it's a diet. And we're not even saying, and I feel like I'm going out on a limb here a little bit, we're not even saying that wanting to lose weight is bad. Something that I've noticed when clients talk to me, it's like any mention of weight loss goals, 
it kind of feels like they're carrying some shame around it because they don't want to tell me like they're kid, like mm. they're ashamed to tell me they're like I know I shouldn't want to lose weight and I'm like well, you know it's like the last thing I want to do is lump even more shame onto somebody about how they feel about themselves and just like gaining weight isn't always bad losing weight isn't always inherently bad either I never want someone to listen to this show and think I'm bad for having these feelings. I'm bad for wanting to be skinnier or lose weight, right? Like remember that you are like essentially being soaked in this culture that tells you to want that since the day you were born. So don't beat yourself up for being like, I wish I didn't feel this way, but I do. You know, it, it, you know. And we're also not a healthy nation overall. So, you know, I mean... It'd be one thing if we all, you know, were were just walking around perfect and then we still wanted more, more, more. But we've we've come a long way away from um, just eating real food and, and feeling good in our bodies. So it's not surprising. Yeah. And that, you know, that it's kind of like the question that we're going to get to today if we ever stop talking. Um, <laughs> so many, so many words, such little Thir- time. 30 minutes later. I know. I'm just going to do a quick note, quick note here. This might have to be a two-parter. Yeah, probably will be. Um, but we did have a question that came in about weight loss and low-carb diets. And the way that it was written really made me think about all of this because she's basically like, I get that, you know, some people don't have weight to lose. They're trying to lose weight. But like some people actually have weight to lose, you know, so like let's just get down to brass tacks here. So we'll read that question in a little bit. But um, it, it did kind of prompt this whole discussion. Um, if people are hearing specifically, let's hone in on the low carb thing because it's super popular, right? And if people are hearing all about this low carb thing and they want to try it, I don't want to chastise them for being interested. I really don't. I want to give people a place to explore that in a really mindful and healthy way because quite frankly, I don't think there's anything wrong with a low carb diet. Obviously, there's a shit ton of caveats to that statement, which we will explore. Some people do really well. Some people do really poorly. And I can't tell you which one you're going to be. I think it's great if you want to figure that out for yourself, but do it with the gentle guidance of a trusted practitioner. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) (laughs) So I am, spoiler alert, I'm in the midst of creating a program and it's going to roll out sometime this summer. I had sort of teased I was going to roll out a detoxification program back in the winter or spring, if you've been listening for that long. And what I realized is that what I was doing with that was really more catered toward my clinical practice. And I'd rather do that stuff with one-on-one clients at this point, just based on their particular issues like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, post-Lyme treatment, autoimmune disease, hormonal issues, people looking to conceive. These are all really good reasons to embark on a detoxification protocol, just a heads up. But I felt it was better suited to do one-on work with that. Whereas the whole low-carb thing, I mean, we get so many questions about it, right? And there's so much interest. And it really does lend itself well to a group program. And I think it's more in line with what folks are looking for right now. So I was going to do it in July, but I am traveling at the end of this month. So it might not launch until August. Just stay tuned. I'm going to announce it everywhere. So get on my newsletter list if you're not there already. Just go to my website, erinholthealth.com, and you can sign up there. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at erinholthealth. Follow Kyle if you're not following her um, at root down nutrition, because why not? I'll force her, <laughs> force her to announce it there too. Anyway, um, if you are looking to start a food program beforehand, if you're listening to all this and you're like, oh yeah, I want to get started on something, you can always sign up for my Fueled and Fit Nutrition Program. That's a 21-day structured nutrition protocol that caters to your unique goals. And you can grab that on my website, erinholthealth.com forward slash fueled dash fit forward slash I think I've done that what three I think I think I've done the fueled and fit three times since you originally launched it I don't even know how long ago that was, it was but it's just it's been a long time it's been a long time it's just nice sometimes like you know just to have just to get like great emails and and so much information and I mean even even as a dietitian, I still always end up picking out something new from that program yeah, that's the cool thing. But I, maybe I've said this on the show before, but um, a lot of people have done it multiple times, and mm-hmm. I'm, I always take that as like a um, like a negative. Like I'm like, what? Why didn't? 
why do, why do they have to do it again? Did they not get enough? You know, did I not provide enough information? But no. it's like, it's like you can only hear so much at one time. You know what I mean? It's like people like pick up different things each iteration they go through. Yes. Which yes. um, is classic being too hard on myself. <laughs> anyway, back to low carbs. Um, I just, I feel like we can't just overlook this big thing that everyone is interested in simply because we've attached ourselves to the anti-diet wagon, right? I see my role as swooping in and saying, okay, you want to do that? Cool. Let me help you approach it in the healthiest way possible. I mean, full disclosure, I am anti-diet and I also eat a relatively low-carb diet. So there's that. <laughs> um, all right. So on today's show, we're we're going to get into this whole discussion about low carbs. And Kyle, you probably had a really good point. This probably will have to be a two-parter because we're already 35 <laughs> There's no way. In. There's no way. <laughs> but um, between the two episodes, we will answer some questions and address some topics that we see the most confusion around. We have like a laundry list of questions that we're going to try to tackle. So why don't you read okay. the, the first one? Okay. So here's what someone wrote in. Some of us need to lose weight. Plain and simple, not to get to the perfect bikini body or fit into the gold jeans or any of the unhealthy mindsets of weight loss. Rather, lose weight to be comfortable in clothes I already fit into, to have more energy, to go on a hike and enjoy it, to be able to play with and enjoy my kids all day long in the various activities we do. I know that low or lower carbs will help me accomplish this. But cutting out carbs 100% is probably not what my gut needs, or is it? I've been working on trying to find a healthy balance of carbs in my life and still can't nail it down. What should, I, what should that balance look for, look like? What carbs are go fit in in moderation carbs and what are don't touch me with a 10-foot pole carbs? Should we be eating carbs with every meal of the day or only a few? What's the relationship between starches and carbs? Dairy and carbs? Tell me all. All right. So there's obviously a lot of questions within this questions, and we will plan to get to them all at some point. The first thing that I want to talk about is assuming that low carb equals weight loss. I heard this a lot on social media when I posted about carbs. Um, people were like, oh, I know I need to lose, uh, to, I know I need to restrict carbs in order to lose weight, blah, 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 blah. And it, there's there's this belief that if you drop carbs, you automatically drop weight. And I guess the counter to that is if you eat a carb-rich diet, then it's hard to drop weight. And that's just not necessarily true. A common theme that we will weave through this whole low-carb discussion is that carbohydrate tolerance is highly individualized. So that means that some people will do better with more and some people will do better with less. And it all has to do with the type of carbohydrate that you're eating, your genes, how you break down carbohydrate, um, your bacteria, your gut health, and it can even have to do with where your ancestors are from. Kind of traditionally, the closer to the equator that you're from, the more carbohydrate you can tolerate. You do better with more carbohydrate. So sure, some folks might drop weight quickly when they reduce their, their carbohydrate intake, but not, not everybody. Yeah, if you're eating too many calories on a low-carb diet, you're not going to lose weight. And that's true for any kind of diet, whether that's vegetarian or paleo or keto. Yeah, and I'll, of course, take that too many calorie thing with a grain of salt because yep. so many women are holding themselves accountable to this erroneous 12 to 15 mm. calories a day standard when they really probably need closer to like 2,500 calories. Um, and I would say that it's generally hard to overeat on a low-carb diet because obviously if you're dropping the carbs, what comes up? Protein and fat. And those are two really satiating macronutrients. So it's you typically 
you typically, um, it kind of curbs your appetite, but, but not always. I mean, I've to- told you guys this before. When I attempted keto, I actually gained weight in those six weeks. And it was most probably because I was eating a lot of fat in order to push myself into ketosis. And obviously with a lot of fat comes a lot of calories. So I think I was eating like some days I was eating like 3000 calories a day, which for me at, with that, my activity level, it was just like, it was too much food or too yeah. much fat, just too much. And a, another layer to all of this is um, if you're if you're decreasing your intake of vegetables and greens as part of you trying to like cut carbs, and you're instead filling up your plate with a lot of meat and cheese, you're you're going to be missing out on a ton of the micronutrients from certain carbohydrates. You can't like the whole one hundred percent carb free. That is not the goal, and. Our opinion is that really the base of every diet, no matter what it is, should be plants, regardless of whether they're lower carb plants or not. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into some of the pitfalls of a low carb diet, um, but that I would say right there is probably the biggest one. Um, so even if you do lose weight, there's like a whole host of issues that can come along with that weight loss. And I, I would also want to ask, for those that do drop weight quickly with a low carbohydrate diet, are they losing weight just because they're reducing junk, right? Some people, carbs means pizza, cookies, chips, pasta, bread, all nutritionally poor calorie-dense foods. So, of course, cutting that out will change your body composition, right? Such a good point. High-carb foods can look super different from person to person. Are we talking about a sweet potato or a pizza? So I think that's a that's probably a really good place to start is just looking at the different type of carbohydrates and understanding that all carbohydrates are not created equal. This is the example that I always give. You guys might have heard me say it before, but it's just like such a easy way to get this point across. If you look at a small sweet potato, it has about 60 calories, right? And then you hop over and look at four teaspoons of just straight sugar, and that has roughly the same amount of calories. But the sweet potato, that carbohydrate, so they're both carbohydrates, right? That carbohydrate has B vitamins, it has minerals, it has magnesium, iron, copper, zinc. It has all of these things that are required in order to metabolize that carbohydrate. So it's fueling your body and it's fueling the processes within the body that need to break down that carbohydrate, whereas the sugar has no nutrients, like nothing whatsoever. It is just straight carbohydrate. And therefore, it's a nutritional withdrawal. So it's going to pull on the body's stores in order to metabolize it, right? So two examples of carbohydrates not created equally. And generally, I'm I'm sure people understand that a sweet potato is healthier than a straight sugar. It's just an easy example to get my point across. Um, but this quite listener had asked about starches versus carbohydrates. And so so you guys understand, a starch is a type of carbohydrate. Um, they're complex carbohydrates, starches, which means that they're made up of long chains of sugar molecules that are strung together. And since they're long chains, um, they're broken down slower in the, the GI tract, the, the digestive tract. So they don't spike blood sugar as much as something like straight sugar. Sweet potatoes contain starch, so starches are found within certain foods. Um, Also white potatoes, hard winter squashes, grains, legumes, all of these foods also contain fiber, which is another type of carbohydrate. Is that that pretty clear in terms of the the starch? Yes. What a starch is. Cool. Um, And then... Carbohydrates can further be divided into two groups, acellular carbs and cellular carbs. And I generally consider acellular carbs to be less nutrient-dense. So these are going to be your processed carbohydrates, your flours, your sugars, your refined grains. And all of these things increase blood sugar quickly, which is not ideal because if blood sugar increases quickly then your body's going to dump out a ton of insulin and it's going to drop your blood sugar quickly. And so then you have a blood sugar crash. You feel kind of low energy, um, just kind of shaky, wonky, hangry, just not great. And this 
unregulated blood sugar is super inflammatory to the body. And when this inflammation has kind of run amok, um, it can contribute to poor brain health. And and I make that point because I'm hearing so many people talk about um, brain fog lately. And, and by lately, I mean like the past few years. And I mean, there's so many factors that contribute to that, but I just keep hearing it more and more. One thing you've got to do is, in order to achieve good brain health is to make sure your blood sugar is regulated. So you really want to stay away from these these um, highly refined, highly processed carbohydrates. They're also absorbed higher up in your digestive tract. So they provide little to no nutrition for your microbiota. Um, which is not good. So the microbiota are all the bacteria living in your gut. And this is not good. We want to provide those guys with food because they do so many things for our body and they provide us with health in so many different ways that if we're not giving them good nutrition, that's a problem. Um, one example is that they won't produce short-chain fatty acids. If we don't produce short-chain fatty acids, we don't produce peptide YY. And this is thought to believe what to be believed as one of the reasons that refined carbohydrates don't promote satiety. If you think about it, like, you know, we got, we just got gluten-free pretzels as kind of like a beach snack. And I, I like could have eaten the whole bag and like eaten another bag and I still would have like needed dinner afterwards. You know, like when you're yep. just eating that refined carbohydrate, you don't get filled up. So true. I mean, one of somebody that came in on um, Facebook talking about how there's like there's no like psychological satiation with just refined carbohydrates. They could just like keep eating and eating and eating. And, um, you know, this could be one of the reasons why. Anyway, uh, I just think that's kind of cool. That is so true, though. I mean, like if you sit there and you just keep eating something like an avocado, you're going to hate, hit a point, a point of, you know, feeling satiated. But I mean, with pasta, it's sometimes it can be like bowl after bowl, you know, it just is totally different. For sure. Or even like, you know, even to use another carbohydrate, like even like an apple, right? Like you can only eat so many apples before you're like, yeah, I'm I'm cool with the apples. Like I'm good <laughs> yeah. on yeah. the apples. But, you know, to your point, the pasta thing, one of the reasons, this is like kind of an aside, but one of the the ways that I knew, so you guys know I was a vegetarian for 20 years. And so obviously, I, or maybe not obviously, I ate a very grain heavy diet. Um, grains and beans were kind of like my staple. I ate a lot, a lot, a lot of other plants like uh, fruits and veggies, but ate a lot of grains. And I started like I could not get filled up like I just I could sit down and eat like a rice based dish and then go back to the kitchen and fill up my bowl again and eat a full like I was eating like for adult men you know it just wasn't making any sense and I was like I think my body's missing something here you know but it, it just didn't have that that satiation for me I just I needed some like real yeah. hardcore protein from yep. meat sources. Um, and once I started that, I kind of shifted over to a paleo diet and it completely regulated my appetite. It was pretty incredible, actually. Um, that just worked for me at that that time in my life. Anyway, those those all those those acellular carbohydrates that I was talking about too, they're often made from pesticide sprayed nutrient poor grains. So if you think of like all those like um Granola bars and chips and pretzels, crackers, cookies, pastries, muffins, breads, pasta, cake, donuts, pizza, candy, soda, energy drinks, all this kind of stuff. A lot of those those baked goods are made from refined flowers. It's just stuff. The standard that, American diet. The standard American diet. And these things have been, and we don't have time to get into the glyphosate discussion, but you know, I definitely need to do that on the podcast soon. But basically, I mean, they're just pesticide Host. So there's a number of reasons that um, they're unfavorable to health. Um, just kind of keep that in mind. So anyway, that is the acellular carbs. They're really pretty nutrient poor. And I would, you know, the, the listener question was like, what are foods, you know, carbohydrates to include and carbohydrates to avoid? I would put these more on the avoid end of the spectrum. And then we have the cellular carbs, which are really more like living carbohydrates. So fruits, tubers that thing those are things that grow under the ground leaves and shoots and these are all really more nutrient dense carbs so all your veggies all your fruits 
those starch heavy veggies, um, they'll contain more carbohydrates. So those are going to be like white potato, sweet potato, Japanese, uh, sweet potato, purple, sweet potato, plantains, cassava, yucca, rutabaga, hard winter squash, all of those guys would be considered cellular carbs. And they're really, they're chock full of micronutrition. Um, and then there's sort of like a gray area I kind of think of in terms of nutrient density. And I would put grains and legumes like somewhere in the middle because it really depends on how they're prepared. This is something that I go into at length in my Fueled and Fit program. And I'll also make sure to address it in my upcoming low-carb program. But basically, they both contain anti-nutrients, which can inhibit the absorption of nutrients contained within the grain or the bean itself. And some of the proteins contained in these foods can aggravate the lining of the small intestine, promoting leaky gut. So people's reactions to grains and legumes are highly individualized depending on a number of different factors. But if you do tolerate them well, and there's kind of different processes you can go through in order to check how well you, you tolerate these things. But if you do, I love legumes. Like I have reintroduced those to my diet. Um, typically, the smaller the legume or the bean, the better tolerated they are. So things like lentils and adzuki beans and chickpeas and black beans are better tolerated than say like a kidney bean or a broad bean that are way bigger. And as far as grains go, um, you know, gluten-free brain grains like buckwheat and quinoa, millet, amaranth, there's so many different types of rice. If you tolerate grains, you know, you can definitely work these into your rotation. We actually have a question specifically about rice that we'll get into to later. Um, and this, this might be a good place. How, where are we for time? Yeah, we're at 50 minutes. So this might be a good place to kind of hit the pause button and, uh, come back to this question in part two. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.